You're listening to Wrestling and More's podcast, Ring Rope Roundup, with your host, Rob Goodwin. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter at at WAM Podcast UK, or give us a like on Facebook to keep updated with all new content. If it's wrestling you want, keep it at Wrestling and More. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Wrestling and More's Ring Rope Roundup podcast number eight. We are back. Sorry for the delay, but I have been in America for a period of time. But what a time to come back with two fantastic WWE shows. NXT Brooklyn 3 and, of course, SummerSlam 2017. Now, I know we have not been producing the content at the rate that we said we were going to, so as a little sorry that we've been away for so long, we are going to do our next pay-per-view review on NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3. Now, I watched this the day after. I watched this on the Sunday, and what a show this was. NXT at the moment, whenever they produce a special, a takeover, it's blowing whatever WWE event, with the exception of WrestleMania, it is blowing any event that WWE are doing. And to be honest, this was no exception. So let's dive straight in, shall we? NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3 from the Barclays Centre on the 19th of August 2017. And right off the bat, this pay-per-view had such a lot to follow. TakeOver Brooklyn is the storied NXT location. It's where things happen. Similar to Madison Square Garden and WWE, things always happen at events at Madison Square Gardens. Um, at Brooklyn is that to NXT. We have Balor versus Owens in a ladder match for the title, and that rightly acclaimed Bailey versus Sasha Banks match at Brooklyn 1. And then, of course, at Brooklyn 2, you had the hashtag DIY versus the Revival Tag Team Masterclass and Bailey's last match against Asuka, as well as Nakamura taking the title of the dominant Samoa Joe. So after these two shows in the Brooklyn chronology, this really had to deliver. And what better way to deliver than by opening with a band that no one has heard of. Yes, they opened the entire show with metallic hardcore band Code Orange serenading us with their song Bleeding in the Blur from their 2017 major label debut, Forever. Uh, it's also one of the three theme tunes along with Creepers, Poison Pens and No Fear by Apologies if I Mispronounce These, Phil Addy featuring Saber Arbraha and Tate Kobang. Yeah, definitely pronounced those right. Um, it was much of a muchness, really. Uh, the band seemed to enjoy it. Uh, whether I did, I don't know. It was riddled with bad mixing and the crowd looked less than interested. Um, also, if any of you are fans of Code Orange, can you tell me how old the singer is? Because he looks about 12. Um, but the good video package that played over the top of the song really did redeem it. The song certainly added something to that video package, and the video package, which is a theme throughout this pay-per-view, was absolutely sensational. And we head straight into match number one, which is Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cianormus with his new manager, Zelina Vega. Obviously, the entire takeover opens with Gargano entering. He's such a crowd favourite. He really, really is, you know crowd went absolutely 
berserk for him. He got one of the beast pops of the night. When you consider it was the opening match, that's saying something. I'm not entirely sure about his new theme tune. It does seem incredibly generic, though not as generic as Big Cass's first theme tune when he split from Enzo More. That was atrocious. But the commentators do a fantastic job of saying that he's trying to distance himself from all things DIY, which is foreshadowing in his greatest form. Uh, Mara Ronaldo had a really, really good night on commentary. He came up with a little line, hashtag DIY, which is hashtag DOA. Uh, that made me chuckle, so well done, Moro. Almas came to the ring amid booze, which is excellent, because at the moment we are living in an age where fans tend to clap good heel work, which is not what the heel wants. You want to boo the heel, and obviously Almas is doing a fantastic job if he is being booed. I don't know whether that was because he was simply facing Gargano, or if he is doing fantastic heel work. But it's a boo nonetheless. Um... Johnny wrestling chants start before the match even begins. Uh, Johnny Gargano is wearing it on the back of his tights. Um, but this match I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed this match. There was a lot of storytelling with um, Zelina trying to make almost a lot less complacent and a lot more focused in what he does. Though he does attempt to be cocky a few times. Um, it is noticeably less than normal, with Zelina Kyle kind of shouting at him from the t- from the side of the ring, telling him to get things done. A lot of great technical and mat wrestling took place in the match, showcasing just how good these are and how underrated Ormus is. There were some great spots, the triangle hold uh, from Ormus on Gargano when Gargano was draped over the top, when, sorry, when Ormus was dropped draped over the top rope, looked really good, looked legitimately painful. Gargano's slingshot spear is always great, but the first one he hit looked really, really good. Um, There was a super kick um, from Gargano when Ormus was lying in between the two ropes, followed by Moro's favourite move, Tope Suicido. Um, It was then followed by a slingshot DDT, which looked awesome. Really, really good so far, really built the match. Uh, towards a really good hyped up ending uh, there was a great and almost really did hold his own throughout this match um, there was a great reversal from him when he reverses the second slingshot spear um, and then he re- uh, he reverses that into like a, a top rope inverted DDT and again I've just written in my notes that he is so underrated he really is um he then reverses a Gargano escape into a buckle bomb, followed by an almost annihilation. Now, if it's not called that, the double knees, when the opponent is kind of sat in the corner, if it's not called that, Mora deserves a gold star for coming up with that on the spot. So I didn't hear it called that again, and Nigel McGuinness just called it double knees. But I really hope it's called really, really good. Uh, the match finishes then when Vega distracts Gargano with a hashtag DIY shirt before Ormus drop kicks him and then hits him with a hammerlock DDT. Now, Ormus's hammerlock DDT is a thing of beauty. I think you'll agree. Um, it just looks so good. Whoever's taking it sells it so well. It's just a thing of beauty. Um, in the predictions on the website, I did say that I thought Gargano was going to win this match. Um, but I think, all in all, it was definitely the right result. Uh, it builds the team of Ormus and Vega as a team and a viable threat in NXT, which, you know, he hasn't been for some time. He's been kind of a jobber to incoming people. Um, but excellent match. Thoroughly enjoyable. 
Moving on to match two, it was the Authors of Pain versus Sanity for the NXT Tag Titles. The video package really did wonders for this match because it really did highlight the dominance of the Authors of Pain. And it also showed Sanity as the only people stupid enough to challenge that dominance. But it made a point of showing that Sanity are the only team to cause Authors of Pain the trouble that they have been caused. Corey Graves is then announced as the guest commentator and gets a wonderful reception from the crowd, which is excellent. Awesome reception for Sanity. Are Sanity faces? I'm not entirely sure what they've done in previous feuds can afford them to be faces, but they got a massive reception and they all look brilliant. <clears throat> Nikki Cross looks excellent and she always is excellent whether she's wrestling or not. And it looks like it's going to be Killian Dane and Alexander Wolfe to challenge the Authors of Pain. Speaking of the Authors of Pain, they come to the ring in new camo gear, uh, kind of like a desert warfare theme, which looks very good, very effective. They look fantastic, like an absolute million bucks, bought out by Paul Ellering, of course. They don't wait to start, but a brawl breaks out between the two teams, and everything is taken out of the ring. Eric Young immediately introduces a table onto the barricade, again foreshadowing as soon as he brings that out you know someone's going through it and the commentators consistently build the power of authors of pain and how they can throw someone as big as alexander wolf around in the way they are doing a little bit of a swerve now from sanity as before the match starts eric young replaces killian dane now the commentator said this was great strategical wrestling I thought it was an idiotic decision. When you look at the size of Authors of Pain and you look at the size of Killian Dane, you think, surely that's the only way Sanity have got any hope whatsoever. Eric Young, yes, he's, he's fairly strong, but he's nothing when compared to Ackerman Razor. But that was the decision they went with. It seemed to throw Authors of Pain for the first five minutes of the match. Um, but... After a while, Authors of Pain kind of brought it back onto their terms, their power, um, their dominance. The fight goes into the crowd between Ackerman and Eric Young, which is good. Um, there's some excellent tag team manoeuvres from the Authors of Pain, who every time I've seen them have looked more like a team. Instead of just two brutes who are there to brutalise opponents, they look more like a team. They look more... They are suited. They are slick. You know, they are a machine. Um, the move I'm talking about is where one... Again, it's really difficult to tell which one's which. Though I did realise that Akim is the one with the tattoo on his arm after a while. But one back body drops Eric Young onto the shoulders of the other for an inverted power slam. Now that looked cool. And again, I've just written that Authors of Pain dominated the vast majority of this match. Which I think anyone who was watching this takeover and this match would expect them to do. Alexander Wolf. Now, <laughs> in this match, I'm going to argue that he was the MVP of this match. I've never seen him as anything more than Sanity's glorified jobber. But in this match, he was genuinely really good. He was moshing. He was just really happy to be there. He hit two consecutive suplexes on both members of Authors of Pain. If you see the size of Ackerman Razor, you know that that is no mean feat. Again, then moshed hilariously. Um... Great moments as Eric Young reverses a suplex off the top rope from Akim. He's holding on to the top rope as Akim is attempting to suplex him. Razor attempts to help by setting up for a double powerbomb by getting between the legs of Akim on the mat. But Nikki Cross holds on to Eric Young so that when Razor goes for the powerbomb, he only powerbombs Akim. Now, this is a turning point 
for the match. There's then a hilarious standoff between Paul Hellering and Nicky Cross before Nicky Cross then attempts a crossbody from the top rope on to Akim. However, Akim catches her, but before he can do anything with her on the outside, Killian Dane comes in like an absolute freight train and crossbodies both of them through the table that is on the outside set up by Young earlier on. Good God, Nikki Cross, are you okay? Because when Killian Dane, who is no fairy, he is a massive bloke if you've seen him, and Akim is no... He must have really cushioned the impact for Nikki because Nikki was fine afterwards. But good gracious me, that was a spot and a half. But of course, with Akim out of the picture, Sanity do their double team move off the top rope on Razor, and Wolf gets the pin. The numbers game prevails, and we have new NXT Tag Team Champions. I'm happy about this for several reasons. One, it paints Sanity as a legitimate tag team. I think that NXT at the moment, with the dissolution of DIY and the promotion of the revival, have really struggled to have viable threats to the Authors of Pain. Heavy Machinery aren't quite there yet. TM61 are out with injuries. Um, obviously, there's rumours of War Machine coming um, in about January time. That would be incredible to see Authors of Pain versus War Machine. But obviously at the moment it looked like Authors of Pain were just going to steamroller everyone. Obviously that's not the case now. And we have new tag team champions in Sanities. But before before the celebrations could get under full way for Sanity, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, otherwise known as Red Dragon, jump both teams destroying Eric Young and throwing Killian Dane into the steps and Razor into the post. The crowd went mental for this. They absolutely loved this. They got such a good reception. Obviously, both men had debuted earlier on, both in losing causes. Um, and it seems that both men are going to be put back together as the tag team Red Dragon, one of the most decorated tag teams in world wrestling, which is excellent. Really good for the WWE brand, really good for NXT. I'm really glad to see Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. One thing, Moro did mention the other promotions by name, specifically Ring of Honor and New Japan. Is that not allowed on WWE programming? Or is it simply because it's NXT and it's not main roster? Just something I thought about when uh, Moro brought it up. But again, a really, really good match. Really enjoyed it. So far, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3 really really good and that brings us to match three alistair black versus hideo itami jr guest commentating throughout this match with sex on news and another outstanding reception once more from the nxt crowd brooklyn was alive throughout the entire show there wasn't one moment when you think oh they're sitting on the hands aren't they they were loud throughout hideo came down and it just it begs the question how long before hideo itami goes up to the main roster because I don't see him challenging for the NXT title. Um, I personally think he'll go to 205 Live because with Neville's um, title reign ending then beginning again at SummerSlam, I just I don't see who in the current 205 Live roster is going to challenge Neville. I just I don't see it. So bring Hideo up; it gives Neville a viable threat. Code Orange back with Incendiary to play Alistair Black to the ring. Really adds to the entrance, I must say. I know I ragged on Code Orange at the start of the podcast, but honestly, really, really added to it. I mean, his entrance is just amazing. This man has got 
just everything in absolute spades. This man will be NXT champion before long, and he will be a huge deal on the main roster. He looks the part, and by God, does he feel the part. However, Hideo Itami gets right in his face, really obviously ruffles the feathers of Alistair Black, who's obviously quite calm presence. His entire thing is his meditation and his calmness and his mystique, but Hideo Itami really gets into him, really, really kind of ruffles those feathers, and then it just gets down to striking. Both these wrestlers are good, stiff strikers, and the next two minutes after this were just hard-hitting as hell. Kicks to the head, and there was a particularly stiff one, to the chest from Itami and good god you heard it around the arena and again there was just a couple of spots that were brilliant guillotine knee from Itami as Black was kind of draped over the top rope um, the commentary team do a great job of building the Black Mass as this devastating finisher something similar to the RKO that can just happen out of anywhere it takes one Black Mass and that is it uh, Itami mocks Black for his sitting position, which got a huge reaction from the crowd. I really like he heel Hideo Itami. I think it's really, really good. He really, really helped his cause in this match, in my opinion. Um, I've always kind of looked... He's always been injured. But every time I've watched NXT, I've always thought he's like, he's there, but not quite. You know, there's not a lot about him. But I've really enjoyed this match, and I thought Itami was brilliant. He dominated a very large portion of this match. And, you know, Black's nose pouring with blood really added to his mystique, but it also added to the danger of Hideo Itami. Um, it's, but, can we just talk a minute about Alistair Black and his second rope moonsault? Where the bloody hell did that come from? A man of his size should not be able to do that. I mean, if you look at the stature and the height of him and he's doing moves like that, that's insane absolutely insane but it came off it looked awesome i just hope he doesn't injure himself doing something like that um itami then continued to dominate uh knocking black off the top rope before hitting him with an avalanche mishinoku driver there's also some missile drop kicks from itami um itami then had a gts attempt reversed um and the match ended when hideo incensed that he wasn't getting the respect he deserved, which was a theme that ran through this match. Ran at Alistair Black before Black ducked and hit Tommy with a black mass that made my bum cheeks clench. I don't know how he gets the sound without literally kicking Itami's head off, but good grief, the noise and the way Itami sells it, it looks like he's legitimately broken the guy's neck with that kick. It looked insane, and of course... You don't kick out of that. One, two, three. Alistair Black wins the match. And it was weird because Hideo Itami did dominate massive portions of the match. And Alistair Black needed to really delve into himself to win this match. And of course, obviously, yes, the commentary team will constantly say, it only takes one black mass to win. Yeah, but you've got to show some manner of dominance. But, again, I have no qualms about this match. I thought this match was brilliant. Uh, Alistair Black looks like a beast, as usual. Still unbeaten on, in his NXT uh, run. Hideo Itami looked really strong, even though he lost. I hope that he gets the push he deserves. I don't think he'll get the NXT title, but whether he gets something, I certainly hope so. He deserves it. Now we move on to match four, and my personal match of the night. And it was the match that 
I wasn't sure about at the start of the night, and that's Asuka versus Ember Moon for the NXT Women's Champion. And of course, both these women, especially Asuka, are absolutely outstanding competitors, but their last match, which I think was at NXT Orlando, in my opinion, failed to deliver. I didn't feel it, if you like. I thought it was a bit tame when you compare it to some of Asuka's other matches. However, the video package opens this. Again, another one beefing up the undefeated and unstoppable Asuka. And they really do plug this throughout the entire match. Who is going to break this record of Asuka? Who is going to end the streak? Um, unfortunately, that does mean that Ember's awful promos post-NXT Orlando are shown, which is a shame, when she sat in the stands. Th they were awful. Um, I don't know what they were trying to do with Ember Moon, and luckily they've uh, they've stopped doing the weird A-level drama presentations where she sat in the stadium pining about how unfair it is. Um, and she's now she's built up to be more of a monster again, which is excellent. The build to the match has been amazing. Uh, it's one of the few good contract signings, and the Eclipse that uh, Ember Moon delivers to Asuka, brilliant. It really painted Ember Moon. They really built Ember Moon as someone who could legitimately beat Asuka tonight. And honestly, I thought she'd do it. I predicted Asuka, but I thought, do you know what? Ember Moon could do it here. And I've never thought that about Ember Moon. Yes, she's probably the second. She is the person to take off Asuka, but she's not there yet. But after this build-up, after the video package, I was hyped. I thought, yeah, she could do it here. She really could. Um, Asuka comes to the ring, her attire is always excellent she's sporting the Seamus Mohican um, in kind of dual encrusted form, Ember Moon's um, entrance to typical Ember Moon match starts like a house on fire with Ember Moon coming out of the traps like an absolute rabid dog she destroys Asuka for the first bit, hits her with a brilliant drop kick but of course after that Asuka rallies you don't become an undefeated women's champion for god knows how long by not rallying after stuff like this and dominates the following 10 minutes of the match. Suplexing Moon on the steel on the outside on the ramp before slowing the pace right down with a series of holds. Ember then shows brute strength. This was so cool. Clearly, Asuka was targeting Moon's arm because without the, without the arm, there's no eclipse. But at one point, whilst... Asuka had Ember Moon's arm locked. She lifted Asuka up with effectively one arm, which was incredible, and hit a one-shoulder suplex, which looked incredible. The crowd popped big for it, and at this point you're thinking Ember Moon is a legitimate threat. Um, again, Asuka constantly targeted the shoulder of uh, Ember Moon to try and take the clips out of the match. Clever wrestling from the champion. The commentators play up the, bat the fact that Ember still is trying the high-risk moves despite her shoulder injury. And are constantly saying, is this wise, Ember? Because you are going to hurt yourself. And again, foreshadowing. Um, eventually, though, Ember Moon hits the Eclipse. No one kicks out of the Eclipse. This has surely got to be the moment. One... Two, Asuka kicks out. And the entire... You heard just everyone in Brooklyn go, what the hell have we just seen? 
No one kicks out of the Eclipse. It's a devastating finisher. What the hell is this? And you could see in Ember Moon's eyes, it was such good storytelling. You could see in Ember Moon's eyes, what the hell have I got to do to beat this woman? How do we keep Asuka down? And the question is, well, the answer is no one knows because after building up this move as the move to finish off Asuka, she's kicked out. Um, And... Ember Moon has nothing else. She tries a second one, but gets caught by Asuka and is rolled through for a two count, but the ref spots the tights being gripped by Asuka. Ember Moon then hits a thunderous super kick, but Asuka again kicks out at two, and it's at this point you can really see the frustration in Ember Moon's face. Again, the storytelling in this match is absolutely sensational. Um, then Asuka then locks in the Asuka lock after another close two count from Ember Moon. Asuka reverses it into the Asuka lock. Ember Moon tries but cannot withstand it and taps and Asuka retains. One thing I will say is that after this match, Asuka did a really good job of selling just how hard she'd had to work to beat Ember Moon. Yes, Ember Moon lost at NXT Brooklyn, number three, but she looked the part. She looked incredible. And she looks like the person to take the title off Asuka when that happens. What they do with Asuka after this, I've got no idea because everyone, and I mean everyone, every wrestling podcast, every wrestling thing that I've read on the internet seemingly thought that Asuka, after SummerSlam, was coming up to the main roster. How she's going to do that if she's still NXT Women's Champion? Whether they do something like ask her to relinquish it or whether she just gives it up saying, I'm done here, there's no one left to challenge me, I'm going to apply my trade on the main roster or something like that. It seems a bit harsh to get her to drop the title after she's been such a dominant champion for so long, but we'll see. Who knows? Um, Hopefully, things will become a bit clearer on Wednesday night after the first NXT episode after TakeOver. But then... The main event. Match number five, Bobby Roode versus Drew McIntyre for the NXT Championship. And again, this for me was the video package of the night. Um, I didn't really see what Drew could do. Um, I haven't followed Drew a lot since he returned to the WWE. But after this video package, and again, whoever was in charge of the video packages for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3 really deserves a hearty clap on the back because they were spot on, every single one. We are reminded that Brooklyn 2 is the debut of Bobby Roode and we have a recap of Roode's dominance since his debut with, of course, his title win at NXT San Antonio, I believe, in January. Um, and then, of course, we have Drew McIntyre's re-debut um, and his talk of how his goal now was to win the NXT Championship and that would be his biggest prize to date because it would show how far he'd come. Now, I didn't think that they would give Drew a title so soon for that reason because he has hyped his goal of getting the NXT Championship as being his main goal. So why would you give it to him so soon after his re-debut? But that's neither here nor there. Excellent entrance from Drew McIntyre, (coughs) flanked by bagpipe players and Scottish band players playing his theme song, which translated really really well thought his his entrance was really good why is he so wet though I don't understand his hair was like really wet like really really wet however you look at excellent entrances look no further than Bobby Roode 
it transcends McIntyre's massively, and McIntyre's was good. With a big, like the film big, a piano comes up on the LED flooring of the stage, serenading, serenading us? Serenading us with a kind of reprise of the glorious theme before the blast of glorious is echoed through the Barclays Centre, leading to the the night's biggest sing-along. That theme tune comes on, you cannot not sing along. Um, also, you don't realise how tall Drew McIntyre is until you stand him next to someone like Bobby Roode. Now, McIntyre's 6'5". Bobby Roode's six foot. He's no short arse, but good grief, McIntyre dominated him size-wise. Absolutely towered over the top of him. But the match began. Rude's heel tactics are amazing, especially when you hear him talking to his opponents. He nearly, nearly hit a glorious DDT pretty much right from the off, and you just hear him in Drew McIntyre's ears saying, I was this close. It's very similar to someone like Kevin Owens on the main roster, who's constantly trying to get into his opponent's head. Um, the change in McIntyre... I mean, they showed in the video package quite a lot of stuff from when he was, you know, the chosen one, uh, as Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, rather, lamely labelled him. But the change is just unbelievable. He looks like a completely different man. He does look the total package. He really does. <clears throat> However, Drew performed a nice tilt-to-whirl slam on the apron on the outside, which is good. The match started quite slowly, with Rude attempting again as heel champions do to try and slow everything down. Rude then hit a series of neck breakers including a really cool one off the ropes and another one on the apron which was really cool. <clears throat> um, McIntyre relied a lot on his size advantage and his strength advantage with Rude relying on his rest holds and again slowing down that match. Um, the spot started to come very slowly partway through the match. Uh, McIntyre performed a Celtic cross on Rude, who kicks out at two. Future Shock DDT from McIntyre, but again, Rude kicks out at two. Rude reverses a Super Celtic cross into a powerbomb from the top rope, which led to another close two count from McIntyre. And at this point, the match is really starting to build. The crowd are getting behind it. You're getting behind it, sitting there watching it. Um, there was a Claymore kick from McIntyre, and you think, this is it. But he got his feet to the rope before three, Bobby Roode, really great ring awareness, and then rolls out of the ring to stop a second pin, which is excellent again. McIntyre then completely, and I'm I cannot sell this spine off, similar to Alistair Black's Moonsault, where it came out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> Roo, um McIntyre, again, six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound Drew McIntyre runs at the ropes, leaps over the top rope, flips, and hits Bobby Roode. And quite rightly, the crowd start chanting, holy shit, because it was like The Undertaker doing it at WrestleMania 25. It was just unbelievable. You looked at it and went, good grief, he should not be able to do that. And that's where you think, of course, that Drew McIntyre's going to win, but no, it's on the outside. Rude reverses a kick into a spine buster, and then McIntyre reverses a DDT into a back body drop. However, then, similar to earlier on, where you thought no one would kick out of the Eclipse, Bobby Rude finally gets Drew McIntyre into a glorious DDT, hits it, goes for the pin, one, two, McIntyre kicks out literally at the last possible second. Then... Bobby Roode, whereas Amamoon couldn't hit that second Eclipse on Asuka to do the damage, Roode does hit it. 
He hits a second glorious DDT, but rather than pinning him, he attempts a third, which Drew reverses. He headbutts uh, Rude, who's stunned, and then he hits a Claymore kick, which, of course, completely wipes out Bobby Rude. Cover one, two, three, and we have a new NXT champion in Drew McIntyre. And I must admit, despite me wanting Bobby Roode to win, I predicted Bobby Roode to win. I did shockingly in my predictions. I really did. Um, I got one, I believe, which is terrible. And I think an all-time low for me. So we'll have to hope that my SummerSlam predictions... I haven't actually checked how they did, but let's see if they were any better. Um, <clears throat> but people did seem genuinely upset that Bobby Roode had lost the belt. Which is good because obviously he's done a lot of work with the belt and I'm glad to see that people kind of respect what he's done with the belt despite him being a heel. Um, but, new champion, the end credits roll and that's the end of Brooklyn Part 3. But of course, of course it's not. The crowd, you hear a massive disturbance in the crowd. McIntyre's distracted, he turns round. Once again, there's Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly standing on the standing on the apron, and then Adam Cole, baby, runs in from the crowd and blindsides Drew McIntyre. We have Adam Cole in NXT, and oh my god, the reception he got from the NXT crowd. Good grief. When he super kicked Drew McIntyre, the roof came off the place, and the commentators did such a good job of building the fact that Adam Cole is in NXT and of course the night is then closed out with the three people Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole all with their fists in the air wow talk about a time for big moments at Brooklyn you're not going to get much bigger than Adam Cole ex-Ring of Honor champion being in NXT good grief what an end to the show and by god is Adam Cole over with the crowd? Is he over? But what a show. What a show. I mean, I would go so far as to say that's the best takeover of the year by an absolute mile. And in fact, I think it's the best takeover in a good, good while. Um, there wasn't a bad match on the card. Genuine surprises. You had debuts. Um, you had the unbelievable culmination at the end with Adam Cole debuting. It just... it. It was absolutely brilliant. It really, really was. And when you consider that you've still got big names that weren't on the card, you've still got Cassius Ono, Roderick Strong, who weren't even on the card, things are looking up for NXT. NXT have really shown WWE, yes, there is only five matches, and yes, it's easier for them to have longer matches and let them breathe because there is only five matches, but God, did they show WWE how to perform a pay-per-view, how to set out a pay-per-view. And if SummerSlam is anything like NXT TakeOver, I haven't watched the entire show yet, then SummerSlam is going to be pretty fantastic. What a show, a really, really good show. I'm going to give it... I can't give it anything but 9 out of 10. I genuinely thought it was that good. But anyway, that brings to an end... Our review of NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 3. Our next review is going to be with 
the Raw branded pay-per-view No Mercy being the next pay-per-view, we are going to review WWF No Mercy 2001. Thank you so much for joining us. Like, Leave a like, subscribe to the channel, talk to us on Facebook, on Twitter, visit the website at www.webwrestlingandmoreblog.weebly.com and we will talk to you guys later. Hey.